Genesis 22, we'll begin reading at verse 1 through verse 14. I want to talk tonight about biblical worship. Last week we looked at this chapter and we talked about the greatest test of all and we looked at how Abraham was tested by God and, um, and the sacrificing of his son Isaac. We looked at the first eight verses where we're going to pick back up in that text again and we're going to look at it from a different angle. Uh, next week we'll probably be, probably be back in this chapter again and look at it from another angle and uh, just kind of stay right here maybe a couple weeks and just preach this text from several different viewpoints and gain all we can from it. So tonight we're going to talk about worship as it relates to Isaac uh, being sacrificed and how Abraham uh, worshipped the Lord during this test of his life. So let's look beginning at verse number 1. If you have a copy of God's Word, it will be on the screen as well as your handout. So let's look beginning at verse 1. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Now look back again. At verse number 5, this gives us the main idea of our message tonight. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Our text tonight gives us the first mention of the word worship. This doesn't mean that people had never worshipped before. Genesis chapter 4 shows us that Cain and Abel had engaged in sacrifice and worship. Genesis 4.26 tells us that men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Genesis 5.22 tells us that Enoch walked with God. Genesis 6.9 tells us that Noah also walked with God. And so we see that from the very beginning people had been worshiping God, but this is the first time that the word worship is used in Scripture. And this passage describes the faith of Abraham and it teaches us some powerful truths about worship. 
In verse 5, the word translated worship means to bow down, to prostrate oneself before one's superior, or to humble oneself before God. Abraham uses this word in the midst of the most difficult trial he ever faced. And we talked about that last week, that this was the greatest test of his faith. That throughout his journey, in fact, from the very beginning of his journey of faith, he had been tested by God on several occasions. Some of those tests he passed, and some of those tests he failed. But this is the greatest test of his faith. The testing of having to lay down his son, sacrifice his son. But yet, here he is in the deepest valley of his life, and he saw the experience as a time of worship. Now think about that. This is the greatest test of his life, the greatest trial of his life, and he sees it as an act of worship. God says, take your son, your only son Isaac, the one you love, go offer him as a burnt offering, and he sees it as an act of worship. God says, lay down your son, the one you love, and he calls it worship. He tells the two servants, me and my son are going to go over yonder, as the King James says, We're going to worship and we're going to come back. What a man of faith. I believe Abraham's experience has something to say to us about our own worship. In fact, the truths revealed here teach us something about biblical worship. These verses verses teach us about the character, the conditions, and the challenges of biblical worship. And so tonight I want us to look at these truths as we think about what biblical worship is all about. So number one, I want us to look at first of all the source of worship. The source of worship. Look with me again at verse number one and verse number two. After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Abraham's worship in these verses was based on a clear word from the Lord. Verse 1 says, God said to him. And then verse 2 says, he said, referring, God spoke to him. In other words, Abraham found himself engaged in the worship of God because God told him exactly what he wanted. God told Abraham what to do. Take your son and offer him for a burnt offering. God told him where to go. Go to the land of Moriah and go to one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Hear me. Abraham's worship was based on a clear word from God. He heard God speak and he obeyed God. And that's why he worshipped. You see, true worship is always guided by the word of God. True worship is always a response to revelation. That means true worship is always a matter of faith. You see, this entire life that we live, the Christian life, it's a life of faith. We pray by faith, we give by faith, and when we worship, we have to worship by faith. I don't know about you or not, but I've never seen God. That means when I worship, I have to worship by faith. I have to worship based on what God has said about Himself in His Word. 
And I believe that when I read His Word, He has revealed Himself to me from His Word. And that means I have to respond based on a revelation of what He has said about Himself from His Word. And based on what He says about Himself, I respond to that in reverence and adoration. Amen? You see, many people, they'll go to their churches and they'll engage in responsive readings and their liturgies and empty formalism and they'll call that worship. Some people will go to church and they'll dance around and they'll lift their arms and they'll shout and they'll call that worship. Some people will speak in tongues and they'll jump up and down and they'll call that worship. Some people will go to church, they'll sit quietly in the pew, they'll sing the songs, they'll bow their heads in prayer, they'll listen to the preacher preach and they'll call that worship. But hear me, do any of these methods of assembly and doing church really result in worship? I would submit to you tonight that We can do all of those things and still not worship God. You see, if we're going to worship God, we've got to do it His way in the way that He has prescribed. You see, following traditions and customs of men is simply not worship. Emotion and excitement alone is not worship. These people who jump up and down on Saturdays at football games and baseball games, that's not worship. Music and singing songs, even songs about God, is not necessarily worship. I know it's getting quiet in this Pentecostal church. Listen, listen you can sing a song about God and not be worshipful. Genuine biblical worship is all that I am responding to all that, I, all that God is as He has revealed Himself in the Bible. Genuine biblical worship is all that I am responding to all that He is as He has revealed Himself in the Bible. In other words, God tells me He loves me. He tells me that He sent His Son to die for me. He says He'll never leave me, forsake me. He says He'll supply all of my needs. He tells me He's my Father. And the list could go on and on. And when I understand who He is and what He's done for me, I worship Him when I respond to that revelation and I humble myself to Him and give Him gratitude. That's worship. And so yes, the person in the emotional church, they can worship. The person in the formal church, they can worship. The person in a church like ours, they can worship. Here's the key. It's the attitude of the heart. Right? That's what it all comes down to. The attitude of the heart. Genuine worship takes place when my spirit responds to God's revelation of Himself in His Word and I bow myself before Him in reverence, love, and adoration. Let me say it like the way Jesus said it, John 4, 24, God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. That's true worship. To truly worship God, you must know who it is you're worshiping. And to truly worship God, we must know why it is we are worshiping. Does that make sense? Listen to these verses. These aren't only outlined, but write this reference down. Psalm 100, verse 4 and 5. He gives us some examples here of how to worship. 
Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Come with thanksgiving. Come to his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. That means we ought to come in and, and, and make a joyful noise is what it talks about in verse 1. Shout to the Lord. Come before his presence with singing. Sounds good. Sounds wonderful. Let's do that. But why? Verse 5. For the Lord is good. You see, coming into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, doesn't make sense until you understand why you do it. He's good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. You see, worship has to be rooted and grounded in truth. It has to be rooted and grounded on who God is and what He has done. You see, you can't truly worship unless you have a purpose for your worship. Does that make sense? You can't worship unless your worship has focus. In other words... Singing without knowing why you're singing is pointless. Raising your hands without knowing why you're raising your hands is meaningless. You're just raising your hands. You've got to know why you do why you do what you do. Amen? It has to be rooted and grounded and focused and centered on Him. And that's why you need to know your Bible. You see, worship is rooted in theology of knowing who God is. And that's what Abraham understood. He knew who God was. And that's why he could worship and give his son to God. But let's notice the second thing about worship. Let's talk about the submission of worship. The submission of worship. Look at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. As soon as Abraham hears the command of God, there isn't any hesitation. And I like that about Abraham. And you see it often in his life. When God told him to leave his family, go to a land that I'll show you, the Bible says he gets up and he goes. Here it is, God tells him, take your son, your son Isaac, the one you love, and go and offer him as a burnt offering. And the Bible says he gets up early, he cuts the wood, he gets the service, he gets his son Isaac, and he goes. He doesn't hesitate. He responds in faith and he submits himself to the will of God. Notice how his submissive faith manifests itself. He rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him. He took his son Isaac. He cut the wood and he went to the place of which God told him. Abraham's worship manifested itself in humble submission to the will of God. Now I believe that Abraham possibly didn't understand why God would have commanded him to do such a thing as sacrifice his son. I imagine that certainly his heart was heavy as he went about his task. I'm sure he was troubled and probably confused as to why God wanted him to do what he was asked to do. But still he did what the Lord told him to do. He heard the word of God and he submitted himself to that word. He humbly obeyed the Lord and that is the essence of worship. Hear me, not only does worship find its root in what the word of God says, it is also rooted in obedience to what the word of God says. Therefore, anyone who does not obey the word of God cannot be a true worshiper. Obedience is key to being a successful worshiper. Amen? 
You see, it's one thing to know what God says, but it's another thing altogether to obey God even when His commands and demands make no sense. You see, what the Lord God called Abraham to do was unprecedented. You see, no one had ever been asked to do what Abraham had been asked to do. Go kill your son. Nobody had been asked to do that before. But Abraham, he obeyed God because he trusted God to do the right thing. He trusted that God knew best. He humbled himself by faith and he left the consequences with God. You see, that kind of faith is an essential component of true biblical worship. Hear me. The smallest act of obedience to the Word of God is a form of worship. Praying, reading the Bible, tithing, witnessing, faithfulness to the house of God, all of the things we ought to be doing anyway are all acts of worship when they're done out of a heart of love and humble submission to God. Those are all acts of worship. That's why on Sunday mornings when we take up tithes and offering, you ought not to see that just as another segment out of service. That's an act of worship. When we pray, that's an act of worship. Everything that we do on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night is an act of worship. Listen, when you hear the preacher preach, that's an act of worship. Everything's an act of worship. But here's the third thing I want to give you tonight. The sacrifice of worship. The sacrifice of worship. We see this in verse 2 and verse 5. How many of Abraham's worship was it cheap? His worship would cost him his son. Notice how God approaches him in verse 2. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Isaac was the light of Abraham's life. Isaac was the most precious person in the world to Abraham. He already had to send Ishmael away. And now God's saying, give me the most important person in your life. Give me the promise that you've been waiting 25 years for. Give him to me. Isaac represented all of Abraham's hopes for the future. To Abraham, Isaac was life itself. But God commands Abraham to take that which is most precious to him and sacrifice him to God. Abraham's worship was costly. In verse 5, he told his servant, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. When Abraham spoke of worship, he knew that true worship involved him making the greatest sacrifice possible. And I want you to notice something. When they went to the mountaintop, it wasn't until Abraham had the knife in his hand and had raised it back about ready to slay his son that God intervened. God waited to the latest possible moment. God didn't intervene while they were walking up the mountaintop. Isaac was bound. The wood was on the altar. And Isaac was on the altar. And Abraham had the knife in his hand ready to strike. If the angel hadn't spoke up, Isaac would have been dead. Abraham's heart was wrapped up in his son, yet he willingly gave God the treasure of his heart because of his love for God. You see, as much as he loved Isaac, I believe, I believe he loved God more. And that's why he was willing to sacrifice. You see, real worship is always costly. You see, David knew that worship was costly. Look at 2 Samuel 24, verse 24. But the king said to Arana, 
No, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. Mary of Bethany knew how costly worship was. Look at John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment and made, made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, he, notice he, he's a thief. He often helped himself to the money bag. One of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you have always with you, but you do not always have me. She sacrificed her pride, her glory, and her treasure for the opportunity to worship Jesus. Her worship was costly. Do, do you notice that when she broke that alabaster box and she poured out that perfume, it was a year's wages. She poured it on the feet of Jesus. Could you imagine taking a year's worth of your salary and bringing it to the feet of Jesus? And saying, here God, this is everything I have. I want to give it to you. Because you love Him. That's what she did. Anointed the feet of Jesus. The Magi, the wise men, they knew how costly worship was. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Beth, to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest of the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Think of the distance they had to travel, first of all, to get to Jesus. But then they bring gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. These are rich, wise, powerful men. And yet there's a child. And let me just clarify something. I know this ain't Christmas time, but let me clarify something. He, he's not a little baby in a manger at this time. He, he's a child, probably two, maybe three years old. And these rich, powerful men bow down at the feet of a child and worship him. It was costly. It cost them their time to get there. But it cost them their treasure. They sacrificed their pride. 
grown men bowing at the feet of a, of a child, an infant. They sacrifice their glory to honor Him. You see, through the ages, many millions have given their all, even their lives, as sacrifices of worship for His glory. You see, we've got to keep in mind that worship is a sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 15 says this, Through Him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. We're to offer up a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes when you come in here on Sunday morning, you don't feel like saying thank you, Jesus. You don't feel like saying hallelujah or praise the Lord. You need to make a sacrifice. Because He made a sacrifice. He left the splendor of heaven. He left the glory of heaven. He left the praises of angels to come and walk among men and be despised and ridiculed and mocked and lay down His life so that you and I could be saved. We owe Him everything. Amen? It always costs something to worship God. It costs time and spiritual preparation because the reality is nobody just walks in and goes right to worship. It takes preparation. The reality is we need to be preparing every day of our lives to worship. We need to be in His presence every day. We need to be in His Word every day. We need to be on our face every day preparing to worship. Because here's the thing. The devil wants to do his best to keep you out of his presence. Amen? Because here's the thing. Satan spent time in his presence. He knows the power of God's presence. Right? He knows the power of the presence of God. And he'll try to keep us from being in the presence of God. It costs time in Bible study. Because the truth must be encountered before God can be worshipped. It can cost the loss of prestige and popularity and acceptance with friends, family, and society, even the church, because God's worship is worth more than the praises of men. Here's the thing. Some people in church next to you don't want you to worship because they're afraid of what might happen if you start worshiping. Some people don't want you to worship in church because God just might show up. They might have to give up some of their stuff if you start worshiping and God shows up. They might have to change if God gets loose in the house. Right? People want nice church. People want church sometimes where God's not present. I want God to be present. Amen. I want, I want church where God can have His way. And, and I know when we worship, God will manifest His presence. Because here's the thing, I, I know God's always with me, I know God's always in here, but I, I want God to manifest His presence. And I know that praise and worship, God manifests His presence. Amen. And when God manifests His presence, the house will begin to shake, the house will begin to tremble, and chains will begin to fall, and addictions will begin to be broken. And people begin to get healed, and people begin to get saved, and people begin to get restored, and miracles begin to take place. Because here's the thing, when God begins to manifest His presence, you can't leave the same way you come. Amen? But here's the thing, some people come to church because they want to stay the same way. 
But here's the thing. Either you'll change, you'll have to find somewhere else to go. Amen? Sometimes it costs us our treasure because God often asks us to worship for our giving. And sometimes you have to sacrifice. Sometimes you have to break that alabaster box and you have to just say, Okay, God, here's my everything. Real worship is a sacrifice, but can I tell you, it's a sacrifice worth making. Because what you receive in return is far greater than anything you'll ever give up. Amen? Number four. Oh, we got plenty of time. The separation of worship. The separation of worship. When this small little group, this small little caravan had finally arrived at the place God revealed to Abraham, I want you to notice the separation took place. Abraham says to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. I like how the King James and the New King James sells it. We're going to go over yonder. He must have been redneck. I'll go yonder and worship and we'll come back to you. Sound like he was from Ainer, South Carolina. But those two young men were not a part of the worship experience. I mentioned this last week, but most likely they would have hindered Abraham from doing what God called him to do. They couldn't go with him. So they had to stay behind, and he left them there. The only two elements allowed in the place of worship was Abraham and the treasure of his heart. And I believe there's a great lesson here for those of us who want to worship God and go deeper in our worship experience. You see, there are many things in this life that can hinder our worship. You see, like those two young men, things can intrude themselves into our worship that have no business being there. We've got to say those things, stay here while I go yonder and worship. You see, many times our worship is hindered because our minds are focused on the problems and cares of life. Here's the reality. Some people come to the house of God on Sunday morning and while you sit here during the singing, you're trying to figure out how you're going to pay your bills the next week. And you can't worship. You come into the house of God and you're trying to figure out how you're going to get through the problems you're going through. And your mind's the... It's not on God. You can't worship. Oh, you might be singing the songs. Your hands might be in the air. But you ain't worshiping. You come into the house of God and your mind's on the storm you're going through. You're not worshiping. And you got to say, when you walk through that door, to all your problems and to all the things you're going through in life, you got to say, stay here while I go yonder and worship. Amen? Because if you don't, it'll keep you from going into His presence. And some of you have come in here tonight and you've let all the things that's been beating you up all week keep you from hearing anything I've said And you're going to leave the same way that you walked in here. What you need to do is you need to banish and remove all those distractions from your mind. And you need to say, I'm going yonder. And I'm going to worship. I'm going in to His presence. Amen. You see, we can't often give God our attention. Because our storms, our problems... And the things of this world have our attention. 
And so it's time that when we come into the house of God that we say, you're not going to have my attention anymore. Because I'm going yonder. And I'm going to worship. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm not going to let the problems of the flesh, the mind, and the world keep me from going into the presence of God. Hear me, anything that distracts the mind from Him is a hindrance to genuine biblical worship. And you might say, preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. Listen, I may not know what you're going through, and I may not know how difficult it is, but if it distracts you from Him, it'll keep you from worship. And here's the thing, worship may not make your problem go away, but I promise you, if you'll get in His presence, there is fullness of joy. And here's the thing. Some of you need some joy in your life. Because some of you have been beat up by life and you've been walking around depressed. You need to get into His presence so you can have some joy. Amen? Anything that would distract our minds has to be cast out and left behind so that we, like Abraham, can go from here to yonder. You see, Abraham couldn't worship while he stayed in the valley. He had to go yonder to the mountain. If we're going to worship, we've got to move from here to yonder. And the only way that you can do that is to separate our mind from anything that would hinder us from being totally given over to Him. So I want to ask you tonight, what what occupies your mind when you come to worship? What has had your attention in this service? Is it work? Family? Finances? Your health? What's had your mind? In fact, here's what I would submit to you. Whatever you've been focused on, whatever's had your attention, that's what you've been worshiping. That, that, that's, that's been your God, little G, this week. Whatever you magnify is what we worship. Is it not? I, I, I know we're not going to get a bunch of amens. We're not going to shout on this. But here's the thing. Whatever you magnify, whatever you exalt, is, is that not what we worship? We have to magnify Him. And here's the thing. If you'll magnify Him, you'll find out that what you're going through isn't bigger than Him. And, what, and this may sound, sound like a cliche you've heard before, but here's the thing. What's over your head is under His feet. And if you'll magnify Him, you'll see that it's no match for Him. Put your focus on Him. Magnify Him. Exalt Him. Get your eyes on Him. And you'll see God show up in your life. Paul and Silas at midnight in a prison with their backs bleeding and bruised began to sing praises. And God showed up in a prison cell.
surely, surely you don't have it as bad as they do. I preached a message here one time singing at midnight. Learn how to sing at midnight. Sing in your storm. Sing in your midnight season. And watch God show up. Job loses it all when he falls down. And he worships. Well, preacher, those were greater men than me. No, they were men and women just like us. Here's the thing. Even while you weep, you've got to learn to worship. Amen. Even through the tears, you've got to learn how to magnify Him. Because God's still good. And He still deserves our praise. You've heard me say this before, I'll say it again. No matter how bad your life is, God's still good. He's still good. And see, that's the thing about worship and that's the thing about praise. It's not dependent on what's going on in your life. It's dependent on who He is. And He's always good. So He's always worthy of worship because He's always good. Let me move on. Number five. The self-denial of worship. We see this in verse five. When Abraham told the young men that he was going up to worship, he knew that it meant to sacrifice his son. This was nothing less than absolute self-denial on Abraham's part. He yielded himself to the will of God with no regard for his own will or feelings. He sacrificed his opinions, his desires, his will, his preferences, and his very future to the glory of God. Notice that Abraham's worship was not about him, it was all about God. It wasn't about what Abraham wanted. This was about what God wanted. He didn't seek to worship in a way that would allow him to be exalted. He worshiped in a way that brought glory to God. In other words, Abraham lost himself in the person of God. Abraham forgot about self and did only that which glorified God. You see, as believers, we've got to learn the truth of Philippians 3 verse 3. Listen to this. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. And notice these words. And glory in Christ Jesus. Notice we, we, we worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. If we want to worship the Lord, we must not come to Him full of ourselves. We must come to Him full of the very thing that delights His heart. And nothing delights the heart of God more than His Son Jesus. Nothing brings more pleasure to God than His Son. Right? And so if we want our worship to be pleasing to God, we've got to make much of Jesus. Exalt Jesus. Make much of Jesus. Right? Here's what I want to, here's what I want to remind you of. Worship's never about us. But yet I hear a lot of worship songs today. It's like we're singing... To us, about us. When you hear a lot of singing today, some, some songs, I mean, there's, there's very little theology in some worship music out there today. 
And it sounds like we're just trying to make ourselves feel good. Rather than singing to God. When the fact is, if we're going to worship, we've got to sing to God about God. Because that's what worship's about. Not us. It's not about pumping us up, making us feel better. It's about making God feel good. You see, when we worship, we should be focused on trying to put a smile on God's face. Not leaving church whether or not I feel better. Amen. When we get to heaven, it's holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Not holy, holy, holy is Scotty. But God. You see, we can't worship as long as we're focused on self. If we want to worship God, we must cease to exalt self and focus on exalting Him and Him alone. Real worship happens when we forget about self and get lost in His glory for His glory. That's what it's all about. It's for His glory. For His glory and His glory alone. The final thing I want to give you tonight is the satisfaction of worship. We see this in verse 13 through 18. Let's look at it. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. If you have a King James, it says Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn. Notice that God, God swears by himself. Because he could swear by no one greater. He, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Listen, God will owe no man anything. God will not be a debtor to any man whatsoever. And so after Abraham's demonstration of absolute faith in God, God gave Isaac back to him. Abraham may have ascended that mountain with a heavy heart. He was going to honor God, but honoring God would cost him his son. He obeyed God and in return God rewarded Abraham. He might have climbed the mountain scared and discouraged, but he came down rejoicing and thankful. He might have climbed that mountain even questioning the ways of God, but he came back down understanding God better than he ever had before. He might have climbed that mountain ready to give up his Isaac on the altar of sacrifice, but he came back down even more thankful than ever for Isaac. Think about that. When Abraham placed Isaac on the altar, God gave Isaac back to him, and Isaac was more precious than he ever had been before. If he loved Isaac before, he really loves Isaac now. You see, one of the greatest blessings of genuine biblical worship is that it brings the blessings of God back to the believer. Just think about that. That when we offer up our praise and our adoration and our worship to God, it seems to have a boomerang effect where God turns around and pours blessing back on us. We come to be a blessing to Him and God in turn pours blessing back on us. I'll say it like this. God honors those who honor Him through worship. You see, when we're willing to sacrifice all that we have, all that we are, and all that we care about on the altar, God will respond by blessing us and using us in greater ways than we could ever imagine. 
See, the greatest key to having God's power and presence manifested in our lives is worship. You want God to show up in your life, if we want God to show up in our church, the, the greatest key to having God do that is worship. Just, just exalting Him, honoring Him through praise and worship. And God will show up. If we could just learn to take all that we are and yield it to all that He is, we would enjoy greater spiritual blessings than we ever thought possible. If we could learn to offer up real worship to God, He would honor us with His blessings. And let me just say this, if you haven't gotten this or somehow come to this conclusion, there's a right way and a wrong way to worship. There's a right way and a wrong way to do it. Again, we can come and sing songs and not worship. We can come and lift our hands and not worship. We can come here and spend an hour and a half here on Sunday morning and not worship. We can come spend an hour and a half here and God not be pleased with any of it. That bothers me. It, it, it does. It troubles me to know that we could come and God just kind of be like, okay, I, I, that doesn't do anything for me. Right? I mean, we've all been in church services at time where we like, that didn't do anything for me. Where you didn't do anything for you personally, right? We've all been there. If it didn't do anything for me, uh, can you imagine what God has to think sometimes? Let me just say this. I don't, I don't believe heaven's a boring place. I don't think church should be boring. I'm not saying we got to be entertaining and try to lights and smoke screens and mirrors and all that kind of crazy stuff. But it shouldn't be dull. It shouldn't be dead. I believe God wants to God wants to be alive and active in his church. Right? I mean, God came down on the mountain and, and, and the people were scared to approach the mountain. Lightning and thunder. In the book of Acts, they prayed and the place was shaken. Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises in the jailhouse, first jailhouse rock took place. The day of Pentecost, when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, the, suddenly they were filled. A wind came through the building. Tongues like as a fire sat upon each of them. It was an exciting time. People getting healed. Demons being cast out. Listen, it wasn't boring. They looked forward to going to church. They met daily, house to house. And today you've got to try to beg people to come to church. I want God to show up. And I don't want phoniness and I don't want fake stuff. And I don't want to have to bribe people. And I know I've got some work to do myself. We all do. 
And here's what I know. It don't, it don't start on a Sunday morning with a crowd. It starts one-on-one in a prayer closet at home. In His presence, one-on-one. Where we just love Him and want Him more than what He can give us. And I, and I want to say that we've got to get to a place where we want Him more than what He can give us. Where He is the prize. Where He is the gift. Amen? Where He is the love of our life. Where it's not about getting another blessing. Where I can just get the blesser. I believe if we'll respond and worship to all that Jesus is as He is revealed in the Word of God, God will respond by doing for us what He did for Abraham. I believe that He'll give us the Son in greater measure. In other words, He gives us a greater appreciation for the person of Jesus and the gifts of Christ. You see, when we worship Christ in light of His death on the cross, the cross becomes more precious. As we worship Him in His resurrection, His resurrection becomes more precious. As we worship Him for grace, for love, for salvation, eternal life, the Holy Spirit, heaven, the church, everything that is given us in Christ, those things become more precious. When we give God pure worship for who He is and what He's done for us, He responds by giving those things back to us in greater degree. This doesn't mean that we have more of those things. It simply means that those things become more real and precious to us. That's one of the benefits of true worship. I'll say it like this. If you'll begin to exalt Jesus, Jesus will become more precious and more real to you. If you'll begin to exalt the grace of God in your life and thank Him for it, His grace will become more real to you. In closing, Abraham's worship honored God. He placed all that it was and all that he had on the altar of submission and humble obedience to the God who loved him and saved him. In response, God blessed Abraham in ways that he could never have imagined. And I ask you tonight, have you examined your worship in light of what we have learned from Abraham? And I ask you, how is your worship in comparison to Abraham's Or is there room for improvement? There's room for improvement in my life. And I believe there's room for improvement for all of us. Amen. Would you stand with me?